Well, with those things in mind, we turn this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. If you were here last week, we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and it talked about civil authorities and government, and there was a mention of having to pay taxes. Well, this week, Ecclesiastes 9 is about death. And so if you want to think about these two weeks, we are looking at those two very reliable things, death and taxes. So last week was taxes, and this week we get the excitement of talking about death. And you could tell Judy was super excited that I told her this week, hey, our children's message today for the kids is everyone's going to die. You know, just a super exciting message, really easy to talk to kids about. Hey, everyone's going to die, and we don't know when. Well, it's what the Bible teaches. It's what reality teaches us. And we turn to Ecclesiastes 9 to deal with this ever-important subject of death. So I would encourage you to open your Bibles or look in your bulletin. We're at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and we're looking at verses 1 through 12 today. It's not the whole chapter, it's most of it. Ecclesiastes 9, beginning in verse 1. Hear the Word of God. But all this I laid to heart examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go! Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion and in your toil at which you toil under the sun." Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time 
when it suddenly falls upon them. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank You that You are a God who has made Yourself known. That You want to be known by us. That You speak the truth to us. That we might believe that truth. And that You do not shy away from those subjects that we would rather ignore, like death. And so God, I pray that You would use me today to faithfully proclaim Your Word, expounding and applying it to us, and that You would give us ears to hear Your Word that You would open our hearts and minds, that we might hear You speak today through Your Word, and that through the power of the Spirit, You might transform us in such a way that we live more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. As we think about death today, I think it is fair to say that many people, so many of us, like to ignore the problem of death. It is something that we would rather not think about because who wants to think about dying? Who wants to imagine how and when it will happen? Nobody sets aside time for these things. We don't write into our schedule for the weekend, I'm going to set aside an hour on Saturday to think about someday I will die. We don't do that. We don't pick up the phone and call our friends and say, hey, have you considered the fact that one day we are going to die? Just put that down. I'm not talking to that crazy person anymore. We may not want to reflect on death, but the author of Ecclesiastes does. He knows the importance of reflecting on our own mortality. He says, I've thought about it a lot. That's what he says in verse 9. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all. That in pursuit of wisdom, he knew that death needed to be considered because it hangs over humanity like a great shadow. That whether or not we want to think about it, the shadow of death is there. And in chapter 9, the author points out two uncomfortable truths about death that we need to consider, that we need to really take to heart about the truth of death. And the first uncomfortable truth about death is that it is inevitable. We see that in verses 1 through 3 and especially verse 2. It says it is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. As he who swears is, so is he who shuns an oath. His point there is that everyone dies. It is an inescapable, inevitable reality that all people eventually die. It does not matter if they are righteous or if they are wicked. The generous person dies just like the greedy. The selfless person dies just like the selfish. The religious person dies like the rebellious. The Christian dies like the atheist. It doesn't matter who you are or how you live. You will die. That death makes no exceptions. And so if you are human and not some android humanoid from the future hiding among us, you will die. And the author tells us this is a bad thing. It is an evil thing in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to all. 
See, he would agree with those of us that say death is just a part of life, but he would say, yeah, it's a pretty bad part of life, isn't it? It doesn't seem fair that everyone dies, that no distinction is made between people, that everyone's got to go. And he says it drives people mad. It drives some people mad in the sense that they fall into despair and depression knowing that death is coming. It drives other people mad in the sense that they start living selfishly for themselves, knowing that no amount of good they do is going to stop them from dying. The author is not telling us to go in these mad directions. Instead, he simply wants us to reflect on the inevitability of death. That we may not like that uncomfortable truth, but do we see that it is true? Can you see the irrefutable evidence And have you stopped to consider that one day in the future, you will no longer be living? See, that leads us to the second uncomfortable truth that he talks about in our passage, and that is that death is unpredictable. Now, you might be thinking, how can death be unpredictable if it is inevitable? Seems like it's definitely coming. Well, that you will die is predictable. How and when you will die is unpredictable. Too often we have an approach to human life that is like batteries. That like a battery eventually runs out of power at a predictable interval, we expect people to die within a certain time frame. That the battery drains, we can't plug ourselves in anymore, and we're just done. But the author of Ecclesiastes says, sometimes, yeah, But death is not predictable like that. And so verse 11 references these other areas of life that are not as predictable. That the race is not always won by the swift. The battle is not always won by the strong. The Steelers do not always beat the Browns. It happens occasionally that it doesn't go the way you expect. That there seems to be a certain measure of randomness in life. And the same is true for death. That though all people will die... How and when people die is unpredictable. Some do live to their 80s, to their 90s. Others die younger, in their 50s, their 20s, even in infancy. And the author compares this unpredictability to fish that are snatched by a net, or birds that are caught in a snare, that those animals were going about their lives when they were snatched and killed quickly and without warning. In the same way, the author is telling us that death can catch us unexpectedly with a tragic accident, a terminal diagnosis, perhaps from the violence of others. We do not know how and when we are going to die but we know it will happen eventually, even if we cannot be sure how and when it will happen. And because of that, the shadow of death is hanging over us all, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. But the author does not want us to respond with some kind of morbid despair of our coming doom. Weirdly, he tells us, I don't want you to live in anxious paranoia that death could happen today. He tells us about the shadow of death so that we would better appreciate the gift of life. He wants our knowledge of death to help us live our lives. 
And he does that in two ways. First, he convinces us that life is better than death. And that may seem really obvious to some of us, that life better than death. Check. Okay. But listen to what he writes about it in verse 4. He says, He who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, pet lovers out there, we need to remember that in the ancient world, dogs were not cute pets you kept in your home and let them lick your face. Dogs were like raccoons or coyotes. They were gross scavengers that you didn't want to be around. Lions, on the other hand, were treated just the same. They were the majestic, powerful beasts at the top of the food chain in the animal kingdom. And so everyone back then would have agreed a lion is better than a dog. But if the lion is dead, it's nothing but a carcass. In fact, that stray dog would enjoy feasting on the lion's carcass. Now, this is not just a a study in zoology or animal things. No, his point is that no matter how bad your life is in comparison to others, to be alive is better than to be dead. This is a really helpful reminder to those of us who are prone to complain. That some of us tend to view life negatively. That life is just one problem after another. A constant stream of stress and suffering. And the truth is, we may have legitimate grounds for complaint. We may be dealing with chronic pain, with poverty, with grief, with addiction, with all sorts of broken relationships. But as rough as life can be, the author of Ecclesiastes doesn't want us to think that death is better. Remember, he's looking at life under the sun, meaning just what his eyes can see in the world. He's not thinking spiritually. And so when he says that someone dies, he's essentially saying they're just gone. They're off the map. And they are forgotten. And they no longer get to enjoy a good meal. They no longer get to enjoy the colors of fall or feel the warm sunshine on their face or to feel the loving embrace of a hug. That yes, they may no longer suffer the pain of this life, but they miss all of the joys too. And so he's looking here and he's essentially saying that by any calculation, life is better than death. And having said that, he says the second thing here in the middle of our passage, and that is, go enjoy life. Enjoy it. That's what he says in verses 7 through 10. He starts with the command in verse 7, go. It's like, get up. Get out of your despair over death. Get out there and enjoy life. One commentator writes that life is not meant to be something we endure. It is meant to be something we enjoy. Life is not meant to be endured, it is meant to be enjoyed. Like a big old sandwich you can't fit your mouth around. It's like that big. It's meant to be enjoyed. That life consists of more than just a beating heart and breathing lungs. Life requires us to go out and enjoy it. And when you look at verses 7 through 10 and the commands about what to enjoy, what's fascinating is that they line up almost perfectly with the curses from our Old Testament reading in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, we were told how marriage and work would be difficult, that the labor of making food and drink would be really hard. 
We know from other places in Genesis that when Adam and Eve sinned, they covered their nakedness in shabby leaves. They tried to make themselves clothes with leaves. But then here, the author of Ecclesiastes tells them, eat, drink, be merry, dress for celebration, enjoy married life, work with vigor and joy. So even though there's this shadow of death hanging over them, even though they are under a curse that life is going to be hard, they're still commanded to enjoy life in this fallen world. And so regardless of what we think is going to happen after we die, the author is here to tell us life is good. There are many good things about this life that we won't get to do after we die. Go enjoy them. Take marriage, for example. Jesus himself in the New Testament teaches that marriage is something that does not continue into heaven. And yes, marriage can be difficult because we're sinners and we only get to choose from sinners in terms of who we marry. And so there's naturally going to be conflict. But to be united to someone whom you love unconditionally and who loves you unconditionally is such a gift. And the relational and physical intimacy of marriage is a beautiful gift that reflects the love of Christ and His church. It is a special, unique gift given for life here on this earth. And He's saying, enjoy it. Enjoy the life you have been given from God. Eat, drink, be merry. You only have this one life to live. That yes, it can be frustrating. Yes, it can be painful. But it's a gift. So we need to humbly ask God, Lord, help me to enjoy life each day. Especially in light of the fact that this gift is fragile and it can be taken away sooner than we expect. And see, that's the thing. As we read this passage and we're looking at it, I get it. Enjoy life. You don't know how long you have. That's a reasonable outlook. But it still leaves a shadow over us. And the author of Ecclesiastes can't take that shadow away. As he looks at life under the sun, he can only advise people to wisely enjoy your short, unpredictable life you've been given by God. And we read that and we're like, I guess that's good advice, but I don't want to die and be on my deathbed and say, well, had a good run. Guess it's all over now. We want more than that. How can we truly enjoy life knowing that death is going to swallow us all? And so the author of Ecclesiastes had no true hope to offer. He had wisdom for how to make the best of it, but no hope. He could not give us hope in life or in death. And so any hope we would need would have to be found outside the world. And thankfully, God reveals that hope to us in His Word. He revealed it through His Son, the living Word, and He reveals it through His written Word. And in so doing, He offers hope for both life and death that radically shapes how we can live now. Now, rather than have me just tell you all about this hope that we have in life and death, I want you to hear from three people who have this hope. From Paul from Silas, and from Gordon. So Paul gets to go first because he's the apostle. That's just how it works. 
So Paul's the apostle who wrote our New Testament reading from Philippians 1. He wrote it from prison in Rome. He's on trial for his life. He's convicted of disturbing the Roman Empire because he was preaching about Jesus and he was waiting because someday in the future, the near future, someone was going to sit down in a judge's seat and decide, does he live? Does he die? And Paul is like, I don't know which one I want. What? You read Ecclesiastes 9, you're crazy. We were just told life is way better than death. Paul, how can you say that you're not sure which one you want? And so he talks about it. He's like, well, if I were freed, I would get to joyfully continue to serve the church in the name of Jesus. I enjoy living and laboring for Christ. But you know, if I die, I get to be immediately with Jesus. See, he knows death is inevitable. But so is his salvation. It's inevitable. That because Jesus died for his sins and rose from the dead, Paul knows that even if he dies, he will live with Christ forever. He knows that death is not the end. For the Christian, death is merely a pathway to heaven. Sure, that's Paul. He's an apostle. Of course he'd feel strongly about it. He wrote a lot of the Bible. No wonder he has such faith. Well, let me tell you then about Silas. Not Silas, Paul's companion, but our four-year-old son, Silas. He and Abby were riding in the car the other day, and they were talking about ghosts because they had seen Halloween decorations, and so that got them thinking about and talking about death. And so unprompted in this middle of this conversation, Silas just blurts out, if we were both to die right now. We'd be in heaven right now. Like if you and I just both died right now, we'd both get to go to Jesus because we believe in Jesus. Now that is a wonderful and horrible thing. She did not veer off the road or anything. It was a horrible thought that Abby and Silas might suddenly die in the car. But it's true that death is unpredictable like that. That death can snatch us like a fish caught in a net. But for those of us who trust in Jesus, even a tragic, unexpected death leads us to joy because we get to be with Jesus. That death is not the end for the Christian. Do you believe that? And can you believe it with childlike faith like a four-year-old? And does that not help us enjoy life now knowing that even tragedy that befalls a Christian only leads us to heaven. So that's Paul, that's Silas. The third person I want you to hear from is Gordon. Gordon Fee was a New Testament scholar and professor who has written a number of books and commentaries on the Bible. And Gordon died this week at the age of 88. And an obituary was written about him in Christianity Today. And this is how his obituary starts. Gordon Fee once told his students on the first day of a New Testament class at Wheaton College that they would someday come across a headline saying, Gordon Fee is dead. He jumped up and stood on top of a desk and said, Do not believe it! He is singing with his Lord and his King. And then, instead of handing out a syllabus like a normal professor would, 
He led the class in Charles Wesley's hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. And so, yes, Gordon Fee died this week at the age of 88, and yet he still lives. For he trusted in a living Savior, his Lord and his King, who conquered death and hell for him. And Christ offers this hope to all who believe in him. It is a hope proclaimed by Paul, passed down to both professors and young children. It is a hope that unites us all as believers, a hope that lets us live every day with joy, knowing that the life we have is a gracious gift of God, and that life includes eternal life. Do you have such hope like Paul and Silas and Gordon? If you don't, then follow the the author of Ecclesiastes and consider your mortality. Reflect on your death today, for death is unpredictable. And hear the good news that though we all die, those who believe in Christ live with Him forever. Believe in the only one who is our hope in life and death. And go! Enjoy the life He has given you, serving your heavenly King until the day you are called home to sing with Jesus. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we give thanks that you give us such hope. Life in a world where we all die is a scary life. And yet the scariest thing we face in this life has been conquered by Christ our King. God, I pray that you would give us this strong and certain hope for both life and death, that we would not fear our own death, and that you would give us the words to share with others that they too might believe in Jesus, for we don't want to see anyone live without this hope. Help us to be proclaimers of this hope. Help us to share this hope and live in such a way that many ask us why we live with such hope. Give us the opportunity to share the good news that many more might come to believe in Jesus and so have life in His name. Amen.